Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are discussing general letters of the New Testament. So let's get started. It's good to be with you again, Lindsay, as always, as we are exploring the, the books of the Bible. And, and we do, we come to the general letters. These are non-Pauline letters now, so it's important for us to, to remember that because sometimes there is a presumption that, that, we, uh, that Paul wrote these letters or they were named under him, but now that Paul would not have been part of these letters, certainly would have been aware of some of the people that would have written some of these, but uh, these were not Pauline letters as far as that goes. And they're not, a lot of them are not letters. <laughs> they're actually sermons. Uh, they are sermons that are apologetic. They are sermons that are argumentative. They are because, and the reason you say that I say that they're not really letters is because a, a letter, a genuine letter, an epistle, a letter, has certain parts. You have an intro. You have the body. You have then the the, the kind of the final point. And many of these Hebrews, for example, uh, doesn't have any of those parts. And this this is obviously a sermon given by someone, we're not sure who, but given by someone in order to, to prove a point, in order to address an issue. So we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into Hebrews. But Could that part of the scroll just fallen off? So maybe it looks like a sermon, but really it's a letter. We just lost the... No, because no. these are really complete. A lot okay. of these really, um, it is evident by the way it's presented and, and, and you know how it was found, the format that was found, is that these were, these were really complete. I mean, the, the sermon is, is very well structured, so it's not like there's a piece missing or it's somehow alluding to something else. It really is an entity, and that's very evident by the way the studies that they have done with these letters. Some, as I mentioned, are letters. Um, these general letters, though, as they're referred to, are written by any number of different authors, even though you might have a, you know, 1st and 2nd Peter or 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, is that these letters, many of them were not written by the same people. They were probably written by disciples. They were probably written uh, by uh, pseudo-authors that used the person's name in order to gain notoriety or 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 by a, a scribe that, you know, similar to when we talked about some of these other books that, you know, they had scribes over time. And, and so a scribe would have used, you know, the author's name and would have known the style and all of that because they would have worked with this person very closely. So these uh, letters, as we'll refer to them, have different styles. They address different issues. Uh, they address different groups, different churches, different areas. Some are very specific and some are much broader. Uh, and broader, I mean, they would have been written, let's say, to all of the peoples in, let's say, Asia Minor at that time. Uh, others would have been written to a specific church because they are really struggling. They're really dealing with some specific issues that need to be addressed. The, um, uh, let's see, moving on, you know, to Hebrews, uh, this is one of the letters that would have been very much, um, uh, not letter, I should say, this is one of the sermons. This is a sermon. It was written somewhere around from what we can guess, and this is a real guess, <laughs> the earliest it would have been written is somewhere around between 50 and 70 uh, AD. So it would have been after certainly the resurrection experience, but it would have been before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by the Romans. But let's see, after Paul has written, most likely. That is right? correct. He and wrote in the 30s, late 30s, early 40s times. And right around the same time that some of the Gospels were being written. Correct. That is correct. Uh, very likely, now remember, we, we talked about some of the Pauline letters. Paul was not there to establish, you know, uh, a church or whatever. He was there to give the message, leave it with certain people. They were to do this. So some of these letters, it is very likely some of these letters would have been written to some of these communities that Paul had established 
vicariously, mm. you might say, by, by his preaching. His point, get the message out. That's what's important. It would have been left to others and to build the communities or to build a particular church, you might say, what we would call a church today, and help to make sure that this church is growing and this church is, is you know, developing in, in appropriate ways. It would have been these churches then that also would have then eventually been introduced to the Gospels. And these churches or these local communities would have had to decide, now what do we do with this? Because there would have already been some traditions being developed by, by the leadership. And, and we will talk a little bit about that uh, in, in, in a short time. But they would have had to decide, okay, what do we do with these Gospels? And, and how do we treat them? How do we bring incorporate them? Because these Gospels would have come from the authorities, and that is the you know, apostles or the key writers, as, as these stories and these Gospels started to develop and take hold. These would have been given more and more and more authority. However, the local letters and such would have also had a certain amount of authority. And so in some communities, there would have been a tug. You know, mm -hmm. what do we do with these and how do we incorporate these? How do we blend these together? What's amazing, what's amazing that eventually that these four Gospels, for example, would have been accepted, that it would have been eventually a consensus. That in and of itself is somewhat miraculous, <laughs> you know, that people could actually agree because they came from such different uh, viewpoints, different issues that were being uh, addressed. And as and, and there could have easily been those times where communities would have said, "Hey, we got our own problems. You know, you know I don't have to. I don't have to hear about what's going on. You know, with Mark or Luke or Matthew or John for that matter." So Luke, uh, not Luke, but Hebrews, <laughs> the sermon from Hebrews. Like I said, the latest it would have been uh, written is the 90s because it mentions in the sermon a number of issues that took place. Uh, before the 90s and so that's the latest it could have been written it is most likely to have been written in the later 50s and between 50 and 70 let's say um, that's most likely stretch 90s but not not necessarily uh, impossible it was um, like I said a, a sermon arguing a point it's it's heavily uh, they use they're heavy on the symbols of what they use. Um, they have, uh, for example, uh, the reflection on Melchizedek in chapter 7. It's like, where does that come from? All of a sudden, they're bringing out this, this character, Melchizedek, uh, who was mentioned in, in the Old Testament, very, very small place where he is mentioned, and that how much this idea of the priesthood of Melchizedek uh, plays in the in, and has an influence on one on our Catholic liturgy. There's a great influence on it, and a, a tremendous reflection more than virtually any place else. This re this reflection on Jesus as priest, the priesthood of Jesus, and and you you have to wonder. And this is one of the things about these letters. Uh, again, we'll talk a little bit about that too. But one of these things about these letters is that because we don't always know the authors, or even at times the specific community, it's hard to place, you know, a finger on why was this so important? Why did, why was this idea of Jesus, the priesthood of Jesus, developed the way it was? What was it in that community, or what was it in this sermon that somebody was giving or wrote for a group that somehow this was so important? That's the piece that we don't necessarily know. It would be like me giving a, a homily, you know, for a church and talking about something that literally only the community knew. But if you didn't know where I was from or you didn't know the circumstances, you would have no clue why, why I was necessarily making that point. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what we find at times with these letters and, and sermons that are found uh, in, in the, what they are referred to as the general letters. I talked a bit about, um, you know, the, the symbols. And the symbols that they used were oftentimes based in, 
in the philosophical tradition called Platonism. Now, if you know anything about Platonism, and, and I suspect a lot of folks wouldn't necessarily know a lot, is that Platonism, you know, really uh, quite simply says is that there was a gulf between what is considered, you know, the spiritual and the material. Um, the spiritual is forever, is permanent, is perfect, it's, it's, it's always good. The material is transitory, is influenced by evil, um, and then you take that with the Jews and the Christians, because they would have applied some of this mentality, is that it was the split between heaven and earth. And so you have this idea that, you know, and when you, I should say this idea, when you translate using this idea, when you translate it into approaching people and, and what you're trying to get across, you will obviously use then the spiritual as good and the earthly as bad. And it gets trans, you know, so there's a real dualism there. Uh, and they used, you know, this, this, uh, this, the symbols that were used were rooted really in, in this Platonic, this, this concept, this Platonism, this uh, concept that spoke of the, the non-transitory, the transitory, uh, the forever, you know, the, the temporary. And, and that, that is kind of the background between a lot of the things. I'm that assuming it's named after someone? Plato. Plato? Yeah, named after it's philosopher Plato. Yeah. Um, okay. We had entire courses on that stuff, of course, when we were in seminary. See the one that you were in a cave? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you do I, know something yeah, about Yeah, I had to take philosophy <laughs> in college. And the shadows in the cave, you know. The, the shadows were... Shadows were transitory. The shadows were of earth. The actual thing causing the shadow, that was the spiritual, that was the permanent, that was the perfect. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a dualism. Uh, and so, so I didn't you, like philosophy. <laughs> a lot of folks don't. <laughs> the other thing that um, is used in, for example, in Hebrews, is there's a form of argument that was very popular again in the Greek and, and rabbinic backgrounds. And that was you you argued from the lesser to the greater. If something is like this in the lesser circumstance, it is even more so in the greater circumstance, whether good or evil. If something was evil in the lesser circumstance, it was even a greater evil in, in the greater circumstance. So they argued from the lesser to the greater. It was a form, a form of argument. And when you look at Hebrews, you look, you, you find that in, in through the whole process. But see, it's because it was a sermon. So they would have used this format that would have been very familiar to the people. And so they were probably dealing with a more educated people. Mm -hmm. Is that it was a very much uh, a form that would have been very familiar so with So Hebrews them. is more philosophical. Much more so, yes. <laughs> yes, much, uh -huh. more, much more so. Um, the readers of uh, Hebrews... Uh, they would have been people who would have experienced tremendous losses of property, friends, businesses. That's why uh, the, the issues being is that it was around that time of 70, most likely before, because as the Romans were getting more and more ticked off, you know, with, with the people mm -hmm. and such, they were putting more and more pressure and they were doing more and more to the people, taking away uh, executions, uh, taking property, uh, you know, all of these, uh, hauling people off to prison, is that uh, you would have had those kinds of things happening. So there was a, a longing for stability, you know, uh, the people that were uh, listening to the sermon from the Hebrews, is there was a longing for stability, there was a longing for for relationship, there was a longing for these things, and they they were really struggling with it. And so part of this sermon would have been addressing that. Uh, the the history is all kind of cyclical, isn't it? It, it really is. So you, you have the Hebrew sermon then addresses this longing by offering a vision of the heavenly home. This is transitory. Oh, no. <laughs> there is something more to come that is perfect and wonderful. All of the things that you are experiencing in this transitory world 
will be corrected and be perfected in this world that is not transitory, the spiritual, heaven and earth. And so they spoke to that. It was a, a letter of hope. It was a letter that somehow bolstered people's you know, uh, emotions. It was a letter that was hopefully to help them to bring a sense of joy because this would have been actually a very dark time. You know, once you had, even before and then after the destruction of Rome, is that it would have been a very, very dark time. The Romans were brutal. They were brutal in how they did this. They, they, they destroyed everything. They would have destroyed fields, water sources. They would have burned homes, everything. that They would not have left pretty much anything behind. Why? Uh, it was basically to teach uh, people a lesson saying, you mess with us, this is what happened. Uh, that was a very common process for many of the marauding tribes, even before the Romans. It was that, it was that idea that if we just decimate the villages, you know, as we go along, the ones that are going to come after are going to think twice about giving us any hassle because they saw what happened here. And so they would destroy, murder men, women, children. No one was left. No one, not an animal, nothing was left. And so you would think twice because it was one thing if you lost a home or whatever. It was another thing to have literally everybody murdered. Um, Lovely. You know, yeah, they, they, were, they were masters. Romans were masters at brutality and torture. Um, they liked to think, you know, in a sense, there was this idea they were so civilized because so much came from them, and a lot did, but they were also brutal. You know, there was ugly, ugly stuff, and they were not exactly the kindest people in the entire world. So when you think about the sermon with Hebrews, it was a time of, of trying to bolster people's emotions. It would have been a dark time. Hmm. We move from the uh, Hebrews and, and we start to move into some of the other letters. For example, James. James is, is um, a little more, uh, is, is a little different, I should say, not a little, but a little different. One, it is written for the masses. James was written for a huge area. This is one of those that would have been uh, kind of like a broadcast, you know. Uh, whoever gets it, gets it. And would have probably been, for example, like the area of Asia Minor. Anybody, and this would have been then spread out to, uh, you know, to everybody that could possibly take it. Um, it was written uh, as a message that was very straightforward. Pulls no punches. Um, this is about... Uh, in a Greek format, this is about a, a moral exhortation. Uh, this is, you know, really, this is the way it's got to be. This is the way it should be. You better listen or else. Uh, it's concerned with traditional values. Very practical. It has nothing really much to do with theory whatsoever. This is, this is how you do it. For example, in, in the first, uh, first chapter of James, it, it speaks of the control of the tongue. That's not theoretical. You control your tongue. What you say and how you say it makes a difference. And, and if you do not do it in this appropriate way, you sin. I mean, again, it's not somehow just kind of out there and take it how you want to. This is about um, uh, real practical issues. What's interesting with James is that he takes, uh, he uses, I should say, Old Testament figures um, to provide examples of the virtues that he encourages. So, for example, he would use Abraham, uh, he would use Job, he would use Elijah. These are key Old Testament figures that, that he would pull from them. Many of the, the virtues, the values that these uh, people had or were written about in the Old Testament. And he would use those as, as you know, how to live this out in the in in the day today. However, you know, James is not simply a, you know a moral treatise that you can kind of take or leave. It's also a religious writing that that uses symbols of scriptures. For example, that it it uses uh, what the wisdom literature would have used, uh, being able to to take it and, and to apply it to people's particular way of living. 
and their religious values of how their religious tradition that somehow this had to, was able to be woven into that. It's very, like I said, it's very similar and resembles the the uh, the literature of wisdom, wisdom literature that we spoke about a while back, and it's also rooted in two very key things: is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, of course, rooted very much in there, and it's uh, rooted in the law of love: love God above all else, love neighbor as self. I mean, those are two very very key key pieces. And um, th this, this, which would have been certainly familiar to uh, one to the Jewish community mm -hmm. and to the early Christians, because most of those were Jews, is that um, so this would have, these things would have been used to get the point across. There would have been no mistaking what was trying to be said here. But again, it's not written sp to specific. It's just to a broad group of people. So it doesn't address particular issues as much as this is how you have to live. Mm -hmm. And so that would have been really a, a key piece. For James also, another point that he makes very strongly is that you can't be what he would call double-minded. You have to make a choice. And the choices between the choices between the standards of the world and the standards of God. There is no gray. No gray. Standards of the world standards of God. Make your choice. Be wise in what you choose. It's In some ways it's that simple. Um, his attention is really centered on God and though it is you know considered part of the New Testament and such is that he only mentions Jesus twice and he he certainly you know recognizes the value of Jesus's message no question there. But he, he really doesn't mention at all, you know, what Jesus did or does or anything like that. He only mentions him twice. But what he speaks more about is the work of God, that, that this is really, really rooted in, in the work of God. And that's where you got to be focused. Um, so do they think it was someone who was Jewish that wrote it? Most likely. They would have been very familiar <clears throat> and would have been writing mostly to Jewish communities because these communities uh, would have been very familiar with the symbols, with the images, with the examples of the people, and the Decalogue, all of that. They would have been familiar with that. And so the Gentiles, unless they were really rooted in a, in a Jewish community, uh, not, not nearly so much. They probably would have picked up on a few things, but uh, not, not nearly as much as if the person had been mm -hmm. Jewish. So as we kind of move through all of these, we find, for example, where we, we jump into the, the first and second Peter. Um, the first letter of Peter uh, really bears the mark of a real letter. <laughs> Has your intro, the meat of the, of the letter, and then your conclusion uh, and your practical suggestions. Um, it's, so it, it bears the mark, actually, of an actual letter. Um, and this, again, would have been very likely written out throughout Asia Minor. Because that's, Asia Minor was really the kind of the center with the, with the diaspora. Once people were really fled Jerusalem and such, uh, is that Asia Minor really became saturated with many of the, well, disciples and, and like Paul and others. Uh, Asia Minor would have been saturated with those folks. And they would have been hearing, you know, the letters would have been going back and forth. And some of these communities probably would have been very familiar with one another. Some of them more Jewish in, in orientation because large groups of Jews would have moved into these areas. Others, not nearly so much, but much more Gentile, uh, maybe with a smattering of, of, of Jewish uh, tradition in there. But uh, so you have different styles really going off to different peoples. Now, Peter, the Peter we know? Uh, probably not. <clears throat> the author um, is, is thought to be most likely a second generation rather than Peter the disciple, Peter the apostle. Uh, can Peter the apostle be ruled out? Can't be ruled out. But... The way it's written, how it's written, 
what we know of Peter and, and him ending up in Rome and, and, and those kinds of things is that it is most likely a second generation. Again, maybe a scribe, uh, someone who, who knew of him and knew his style and such and was writing with a pseudonym in order to, again, gain notoriety, in order to bring the message and, and Peter's, what Peter, how Peter may very well have preached mm -hmm. to bring that to the people at the time. Most likely not, can't be ruled out. And that, again, is part of when you look at some of these letters of how these letters were being developed, th things were kind of moving so fast that, you know, in, in that day and age, that they aren't always certain where things came from or who or what the issues necessarily were uh, in that regard. Um, as I mentioned, it was for those of, uh, written to people over a, a larger area. Uh, and how do we know some of that is that because there is the lack of, of addressing specific issues. And whenever you have that, it's, it's then obviously much more general because you want to reach the broadest amount of the greatest number of people, I should maybe say, than that you can without becoming so specific so that people would just write it off and say, well, that doesn't... Stop listening. Yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's uh, certainly uh, part of it. The literature we find in First Peter is more apologetic. He wants, now, what does that mean? Apologetic, uh, to, right, to be an apologist is that you are writing and you are speaking in order to convince another of your way of thinking. To why an apologist would want to help a non-Christian uh, know why Christianity truly is, you know, the faith. Why Jesus truly is, you know, son of God. And so it, when you are writing in that way to be an apologist, you are writing to convince another person. You are stating facts. You are, you are stating an argument that, that counters the argument that the other person may have had. That's why when you look in the history of the church, you have that whole era of some of the great apologists writing against, for example, various heresies that were out there. The heresy that said, you know, God was, was not really human, but just had the shell of a human. He was really divine. He was not really human. And then you had those who, you know, that God was not, you know, divine. He was only human. So the apologists, many of those were written, were writing during times when these great heresies and, and were taking place. And so these people were writing to groups of sometimes theologians, sometimes communities, sometimes to schools. Sometimes these apologists were writing into some of the great councils in order to get the council to think of a person. Like a persuasive essay. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. So these, these were important people, you know, in the history of our church. And you think about, you know, some of the ones that, you know, may or may not have been accepted. We could have gone in a completely different <laughs> you know, direction. So when you look at First Peter, is that um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's recognizing that we are, you know, to be a community. And, and he is trying to convince them to understand this, that we're not to be against the world. We are to be a witness to the world. Later on, we would describe it not of the world, in the world, but not of the world. And, and much of this comes from, like the first letter of Peter, who, who speaks of this and is writing to communities where he's saying, you know, we're not somehow to escape the world in which we're part. We're to be a witness to this world, to help them understand who this Jesus is and, and, and what we believe. So that was really, you know, when you start to look at First Peter, that's really a lot with, uh, with First Peter. Second Peter takes on some of that argumentative, uh, you know, approach. Um, it's definitely, though, a different author, the author than First Peter. Um, the styles vary. The issues vary. The, the sentence structure varies. The, I mean, there are so many pieces that are different from, you know, that, that a the same person simply couldn't have done that. It's just not, not humanly possible. Uh, there are those who say, well, it could have been miraculous. Yes. Um, yeah, I, it was a different author. Um, so it's, it's important that uh, we look at that. It would have been a, what they would have called a pseudonymous author uh, or composition, I should say. 
the composition written by someone who took the name of Peter again to make sure that his, his word got out. Um, this is actually what they call a sermon in letter form. <laughs> oh my gosh, so many yeah. names for things. Yeah, it, it really is sometimes. I think the beauty of that, Lindsay, though, it speaks of the of the the myriad of styles that, that were used and how all of these different people, for whatever their motivation, how all of these different people felt so strongly about getting that word of, 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 of the Gospels out, getting that word of Christ out, getting that message of Christianity out. And how I think part of the beauty of this is how just the, the wonder of God uses all of these people of different talents, different backgrounds, in order to, in order to create this, you know, this marvelous, marvelous story of, of faith that, that literally spread throughout the known world at the, at the time. The key issue for Second Peter is really, um, it's about the power of God to judge the world. This is one of the big arguments. Um, does the, power, does the power of God really judge the world? Does it have the right to judge the world? And what they were really getting at was really uh, living faith versus, you know, practical atheism. And that's, a, that's an issue that we, we deal with to this very day. Living genuine faith, or what we would say is more practical atheism. It, the, the, the debate still rages on. Um, and it takes on, you know, in our own time, it takes on you might say the, the 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 tenor of the reality of God in our world which is a real question that people talk about the reality of God and in, 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 of the world the reality of God in the world and God's relationship to the world what is it does it even exist that was a huge debate in the time of second Peter it's still a debate today you know, you go to universities, you go to, uh, you, you, you know, it's a debate among many young people. Um, they talk about, you know, this, this reality of God. Why do, why do you believe in God? Why do I believe in God? You know, and, and people have asked me that. You know, so the debate rages on. And, and it's talked about, and it's trying to, through the way we live and all of this, that's the whole point of this, through the way we live, how we love, is that, that our lives speak of the reality of God in the world and God's relationship to the world. You know, it's a, like Bette Midler's song, From a Distance, you know? <laughs> yes. God is watching us from a distance. And I wanted to at times yell out, no, God is right here real close up, not just <laughs> watching from a distance. But the debate rages on. And, and you know, I think at times, because of the world in which we live, it's not a bad world. We have a good world. Is that there is a stronger foothold sometimes mm -hmm. to the side that really questions, does God exist? And, and how do we know that? Um, and we would say part of it is it's faith. It's called faith. So we move from First and Second Peter, two different authors, again, issues, uh, and we, that different issues that needed to be addressed, uh, more in the um, uh, argument, you know, apologetic uh, style, uh, you know, to, to, to bring the good news to, to the world, the known world. And then we move to the uh, first, second, and third John. At first, it was seen, it seemed as if somehow they were three different authors. But when you look at these, um, these three letters, um, first of all, we don't know exactly who wrote them. Uh, it's tenuous at best if they're connected to the writer of the John's Gospel and to the book of Revelation. In the past, it was assumed that this was the same writer. Uh, that's no longer assumed. And um, we believe that, I should say scholars believe that it's probably written by a single person, but certainly not the person that we would know, the John's writer of John's Gospel or the writer of Revelation. <clears throat> also, 
Uh, we recognize that it's probably uh, written to a Joanine community, which one, there were several, there would have been different communities, just like there would be different parishes named St. John or Holy Angels or whatever, all depends where you can go. Uh, that's why uh, there can, uh, even by church law, you can't have two churches of the same name in the same uh, uh, setting, um, a city or a civic setting. Okay, you can't, you, you know, in the city of West Bend, you couldn't have two churches by the same name. So we don't know which Joanine community it was, uh, most likely in the late first century. So you're talking about 90s somewhere in there uh, that, that would have been, uh, been written. Um, it is also most likely the area is probably, again, Asia Minor. Um, that's simply a stab in the dark, but it is very likely Asia Minor. But the time period could be John, Gospel John. Right? Certainly could be, yes. Certainly could be, yes. Characteristics of, of the Joanine material. Now, when I speak of that, the first, second, and third, not the Gospel, mm -hmm. not Revelation, first, second, and third John, the, there are several characteristics that come out of here. Uh, one is uh, Jesus has the central role in their identity. That's important to understand because that plays a piece in the later development. Jesus has a central role in their identity. Um, the churches have experienced, the churches that, that they're writing to could have been several in a particular group. The churches that they're writing, and when I say churches, it, it would be more of a local community. The churches they're writing to, though, has experienced a tragic division among themselves. And it has, it has broken the community. It has set brother and sister against brother and sister. I mean, it just some, it has a tragic, tragic break has taken, uh, taken place. The division is focused on, uh, a, a, is uh, focused on a stark dualism. Here again, it's, you know, it's either one or the other. There is no gray here. Um, as mentioned is that with, with this dualism, is that you have light and dark, life and death, flesh and spirit. There is no in-between. In the uh, third letter, I say in the three letters, I should not the third letter, in the three letters, the conflict between the churches and uh, the conflict is between the churches and the proper understanding of Jesus. Remember what I said is that Jesus is central to their identity, is that what is breaking them apart is the conflict between a proper understanding of Jesus. As in like man or divine? No, just or... not so much that. No. Is that it's um, what, what is Jesus' role? What is, how do we approach it? It's, it's, it's more, probably more philosophical <laughs> than, than it is. How does he fit in this? Yeah, in the whole sense of their identity. And it is evident that this has just torn the community apart. Um, some believe that, that all three letters were written by the same person. Each letter has a different function. I tend to lean toward that theory myself. Um, there are those who believe that they were written by three different authors. And they, but there's a piece missing, and, and, and I want to kind of touch upon that. If that were the case... Uh, I think that there's a stronger case, and again, it's all theory, there's a stronger case that they were written by the same person and each letter had a, had a, had a key function. The function of the third letter, rep, you know, rec what they're doing is recommending, what they you know, kind of casually say, it recommends the mailman, Demetrius, to the church leader, Gaius. He was a deliverer of the letters. Demetrius. So as they put it here, the third letter really is recommending Demetrius to the church leader Gaius. The person sending the letter is the elder of the main community. Okay. And so the second one, the second letter is a cover letter basically to be read publicly to the, church, to the local church. The first, which is the key, the first is an exhortation. We were talking about that a while ago. An exhortation 
And this exhortation is to the community that is divided by this terrible split. And so that's the meat of it. The other two were uh, letters were sent with this major letter, and they each had a bit of a function. So specifically, um, the um, let's see that uh, though the community, however, you know, when you look at that, I should say the with the first letter of John. I got to make sure I get the right letter. <laughs> the first letter of John. Uh, though it addresses the split in the community, it is more positive in tone. It speaks of the possibilities. Um, remember, these folks, their lives are guided by a choice. It's black and white, no gray. It's a choice. The first and basic choice is to follow Jesus. That's across the board. They were a community and they believed themselves to be a community of true prophecy, or at least that's what they, how they saw themselves. They were a key community that had truth. And this truth was rooted in Jesus Christ. However, they found themselves to be in basically two hostile camps split by what should have been the centerpiece of what they considered the unifying piece of, of the whole thing, the proper understanding of the nature and the role of Jesus. What should have brought them together was the very thing that was tearing them <laughs> apart. And that's, that's where the author then tells the community, basically, get beyond your egos, listen to each other, all have sinned, and it's going to take us working together to bring the healing that is necessary. Hmm. Where do we need to hear that today? <laughs> Sounds quite timely. If it you're... certainly does, doesn't it? But see, that, I think that's, again, the richness is that so much in the, the scriptures just speaks of human nature. But that idea is that get beyond your egos, listen to each other, and all have sinned. It's going to take us all working together to somehow bring the healing that is necessary. That's the meat of the, of, that's the main letter, John 1. John 2 is that it has, again, all of the elements of a genuine letter written to the specific group of people. Um, it's a letter of introduction to verify the identity before the homily or the sermon is read. This is more of a sermon in, in John 1. It's to verify the, in, the identity of the, letter of, the, bringer. of the letter bringer. Yes. It's to verify It's like a reference letter. letter. Correct. Because how their approach, the approach was, if you accepted the mailman, mm -hmm. the bringer of the letter, you were going to accept the message. So that there was a dual purpose. And it's, it's um, so, you know, so you had to make sure that this letter that verified the identity, um, you know, had to be good. Mm -hmm. And this also, 2 John also then, uh, it had some suggestions in it as to how approach what was being said. I mean, it's like today, if you have a speaker from the Archdiocese, they get a letter that says, you're approved by the Archdiocese. Yep. Yep, you're right. Or for clergy, mm -hmm. a letter of suitability. It states that you are genuine, you're the real deal. And that also then in, uh, presumes then a willingness to accept the message. Mm -hmm. that, that's the second part of it. In 3 John then, um, you have, uh, I should, first of all, with 1 John, uh, just a, a little aside, in the New Testament, if that there are only two letters in the entire New Testament that are written to individuals. One is Paul's letter to Philemon in order for Philemon, you know, to accept Onesimus, the slave, his former slave. And so it's a personal letter. And that's the first one. The second one is John 3. It's a personal letter. It's a letter written by the elder, 
of the community, he's writing this letter to Gaius, the leader of the local community that where difficulties are, is that he recommends this bearer, uh, he recommends Demetrius to the leader of this community. Again, if you accept the leader, you are accepting the letter and the message. And so that, you know, when you, when you start to look at that is that this was, as I mentioned, very, very important to make sure that what you had was uh, a, an excellent letter of recommendation that spoke of this man's integrity, that spoke of this man's ability, that spoke of this man's honesty uh, in order to make the, the message even more and more important. The theory is that the three letters were actually delivered all together. That makes sense. And it, it does because otherwise John 2 and 3 have very little to offer. <laughs> I mean... There's not much theologically there. There's not much. It's really a recommendation. It's an introduction. There's not much meat to it at mm -hmm. all. And so their, their, um, their meaning, you might say, or their, the importance comes with being connected with the meat or the heart of, of the, the sermon in, in First John. Uh, otherwise there really wouldn't have been a reason to to uh, to keep it. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, again, it's theory. Can't be proved. Um, they're not quite sure what to do with it, though, if they aren't connected. Because it would, it would, it would somehow need to look at that and say, how does this, what does this say? How does it connect with the whole message of the canon of scriptures? And that would be much harder to deal with or to work with if not... Uh, with the uh, being connected with first first John mm -hmm. so and finally we come to uh, the the book of Jude uh, again they talk about the obscurity of Jude we don't know where uh, we don't <laughs> I'm gonna know. be honest when you said that I was like yeah. Jude yeah, we don't know where, we don't know why, we don't know who. <laughs> um, there is, uh, even the material that I have said, there is a great amount of ignorance when it comes to the author. And, and this is how, why it's so difficult, you know, to take this because you, 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 it's hard, you can't put it in a framework. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had a community, if you had a, a whatever, or at least a, a framework of time and place is that, you would have a much better idea of how to build a framework. But Jude is one of those where it's just, it's kind of out there. How it even got connected, they're not necessarily sure. He was obviously, said, you know, obviously responding to some si sort of specific crisis. Uh, and so what they have to do is, what any of us have to do is to say, okay, so what kind of crisis would he be responding to? Uh, what would have been happening in the community, but see even that without a context, you know, I could throw out a date, I could throw out any number of things, but without a specific context, is that one would be hard place to to somehow recognize, you know, what this person is doing, and and why they are doing what they are doing. The um, there's there's a puzzling with the identity, you know, when you talk about literary connections and such, is that uh, even that there appears to have been an, a, an earlier draft or drafts of this letter. Uh, again, we're not sure who would have rewritten them, who would have edited them. Um, that's, um, it's just, again, one of those literary puzzles that we really don't have a whole lot of, of, of answers for. Um, even sometimes his literary allusions or he cites examples of sinners being punished, but uh, not sure why or where. <laughs> you know, again, not sure why or, or you know, or where. Um, but clearly it was important if it got yes. included in the Bible. And yes, and, and that's, see, that's it, is that those who would have included the canon or included the book into the canon they could have very easily been presuming or had presumptions of materials that were long lost. 
Um, you know, you start looking at that. Um, you know, there's obviously the author has, for example, has a familiarity among sources, among his readers, but, you know, it, in a sense, it presupposes the possibility of Jewish Christian readership, but we can't even say that for sure. Why? We just don't know. You know, we just don't know. Um, he, is, he is obviously writing a polemic uh, against some opponents, but even with that, we don't even know sometimes what the opponent's arguments were. That would even give you a better idea if you knew who he was writing against. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Jude is one of those that's just very, very obscure. Um, he, he, you know, he speaks of immoral behaviors, um, but, you know, what does that even mean? You know, he talks about greed, uh, sexual immorality, slander, um, living for own desires, but who is he talking to? Uh, he, ex he accuses the community of the, he accuses people of disrupting the community. Uh, the uh, the term usually taken to make to mean the Eucharistic meals that somehow there were those who were disrupting these um, early forerunners of the mass, and yet again we just there is just so much we don't know, hmm. but yet there was a reason to keep it. There was a reason to keep it, and when you think of the hundreds of years where that could have been dropped mm -hmm. or whatever. There was a reason to keep it. I, I hear again, I think you're talking about by the grace of God, you know, that that a, uh, a book is kept, that there's something there, people find something in there. Is it uh, the, the mysterious ways that the hand of God works? Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's like a, a downer ending, you know, you might say, because it's a, these are just, you know, some, some great books. Um, and, and have, you know, letters and sermons and exhortations and, and some known and some not so much. But somehow the Word of God is mixed, is mixed in the, all, all of it. So. That's not the downer ending. The downer ending is next week when we do Revelation. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to be doing Revelation. And that's going to take some time in and of itself. And so that's the fun one. I, I just, <laughs> I love the book of Revelation. So, But that's what we have for the general letters. Great. Okay. Well, that was a lot to blow through for our general letters. We're almost at the end of our biblical journey. I think next week's our last one, and it'll be 10 weeks total that we've yeah, done I'm, our I'm... Bible journey. So um, hope you enjoyed this one, and we will see you next time. Great. Great.